0: Chuck Norris, Walker, Texas Ranger. I hope you like that show. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Chuck Norris, you have a word of the day. I bet you never dreamt since A-Rod signed all those years ago with the Texas Rangers that you'd be a word of the day. Who watched Walker, Texas Ranger? Who knows what a Texas Ranger is? You know it if you've watched the TV show. It's basically a police force. I don't think they use karate to kill cowboys anymore. But they were started like in the 1800s, the 1830s, and they basically investigate corruption and crime and do all this stuff in Austin. And I was just in Austin, and I saw all these monuments about the Texas Rangers. And in all my years in baseball, I'd never done the research because I'd never watched the show. And I learned for the first time what the Texas Rangers were. And I'll admit it because you know I admit when I don't know stuff. And there's so much I don't know. It can't fit in a, in the, in a room the size of uh, Aaron Spelly's mansion. I thought the Texas Rangers were like Smokey the Bear forest rangers where they're in charge of forest fires and national parks. Like a ranger. Oh, are you the ranger for the park when you're driving out west and you see national parks, et cetera? Anyway, I found out that Texas Rangers are not that. And that Chuck Norris is the single most famous Texas Ranger of all time. Walker. That's the nothing personal word of the day because the Texas Rangers are back, baby. The Texas Rangers are doing their best imitation of themselves when they signed A-Rod. Their best imitation of the 2012 Marlins moving into a new stadium and signing Reyes, Burley, and Bell. Boy, that works. The Texas Rangers gave Corey Seager, the Dodger, the MVP, the postseason hero, $325 million over 10 years. $32.5 million to Corey Seager. No sooner did our show end yesterday that Max Scherzer signed, so we go up and do a special Max Scherzer. You can get it on YouTube or in the podcast feed. We did like an 18-minute second show yesterday about the Max Scherzer deal and how that went down between Boras and... uh, Uh, Stevie Cohn. Now, Corey Seager. Who's his agent, Coca? Do you know by chance? Do you have any idea who Corey Seager's agent is? I don't know if you do, but you may. If you do research, you could figure it out really fast. What about Marcus Simeon? Hmm. $57.5 million the Rangers are paying to a second baseman and a third baseman. I want to do math for you because the Rangers gave – everyone's going to be talking about today – The rangers gave half a billion dollars out in contracts which is fine we don't look at it that way in the industry you look at it on an annual basis you look at your payroll going forward and you calculate whether your payroll can withstand the contracts you are signing when we signed stanton to the 325 million dollar deal we said to our owner in order for this contract to work he cannot represent more than 20% of the payroll. Therefore, we have to make sure that our payroll, when he's making 30, is going to be 150 or above. And the Marlins payroll had never been that. But we thought we'd win. We thought we'd get more revenue. We thought we'd get a great TV deal, naming rights, yada, yada, yada. We didn't think that he'd sell the team after the death of Jose. But you just don't plan for that. But you have to think and get permission that your payroll will be, will be where it needs to be to be competitive. Because having one player at 32.5 or two players at 57, the Rangers are not going to win games with a big two of Seeger and Simeon. You need a full team. So the Rangers said, we got it. We're going to overpay John Gray, the Colorado Rockies pitcher. We're going to give him $56 million, 14 a year for four years. So then we've got $71 million in three players. Well, what's your total payroll going to be? Because remember the math. No player can represent more than 10% of a payroll. It just doesn't work. So let's say I said 20%. It's 20%. So Corey Seager alone at 30, you need to be at 150. Okay, but now you've got three players at 70. That means you need 23 more players And you're going to get that done in $80 million with good players and you're going to be competitive? Or are you saying that if you have a middle infield that's the most expensive of all time, we've agreed to go up to 180? Because for me, the Rangers need to be at 180 in order for them to justify these signings. And that is the thing that is not talked about enough, in my opinion. What happens the day after? And we try to tell you on Nothing Personal that today feels great. It's the same way like how Javi Baez and the Detroit Tigers feel. We've made it through the rain. Javi Baez has agreed 10 minutes ago to a six-year, $140 million deal with the Detroit Tigers. How great does that feel that you've made it through the rebuild? And what sure sign is there? You've got A.J. Hinch managing. You were competitive in the second half of the year. You still have Cabrera making a huge chunk of your payroll who's not playing like a $30 million player, but you've got enough young players that you now sprinkle them. You bring in a free agent signing. It is the dream of all tanking teams that you get through the rebuild. You've got enough young players, and then you go into the free agent market for the cherry. But that cherry can make or break the Sunday. And the desperate feeling to get the cherry at the right time can be intoxicating. You can look at a group of free agents and say, which is what every team does, they rank the free agents, they put a number next to the free agent in terms of annual value for a year, and then total number of years for a player. You put the player's age on the board as well, and then you make a list, and you go down your list once players are signed or you can't get them. It's sort of like what you do in a draft when you've got your draft board. The number one guy in your draft, if he's not available, you pick the number two guy in your draft if he's available. And you take into account signability, you take into account everything. But what teams do in the heat of the moment when there is a deadline, they tend to ignore their process and they tend to use confirmation bias in order to convince themselves of something that they otherwise would not think. In a normal season, in a normal world, there is no team, and Coca disagrees. We argued about it during the pre-show, which is why we're a little late this morning, because he views the Javi bias contract as the one good contract so far during this pre-lockout fake deadline. It's an overpay in years and money, but I must sound like a broken record. But when you go down the list, Javi Baez was not number one on the Tigers list. I promise you that. Coca said, well, of course, wouldn't you rather have him at 140 than Seager at 325? No. Seeger is way more than 50% a better player than Javi Baez. Way better in the clubhouse. Way better someone you can bet on long-term. Ten years is likely too many. Texas is not going to have the payroll capacity, so he's going to get jettisoned the same way Arod was, and that will happen with the majority of these players signing these deals. Think about the best comp I can give you. Robinson Cano signed a ten-year deal with the Mariners. Shocked the world. Robinson Cano is now a disgraced Met because the Mariners would have done anything to trade him and attached him to a performing arbitration closer named Edwin Diaz to get him out of Seattle. The day you sign these players is a day you are closer to figuring out how to get other teams to take on those salaries when those players are not performing in the way you need them to perform or the team is not performing in the way you calculate it. So the confirmation bias comes when you go down your list because you're looking for the cherry and you want to say to your fans, hey, we're going into this lockout, but you better be there when it's done because our team is ready. Look, we proved it. We signed a free agent. We got a shortstop, the great shortstop class of all time. We got him. So you go down, you go down, you say, well, that guy would be a cherry. That would be a great end to a rebuild. Oh, that is someone we can continue our growth and someone we can see winning a World Series with. And then you go down when you don't get that player because what we do is we evaluate a player. We put a number on a player. And when that player wants more, we tell the owner, stop. And then the owner tells us, go. And then we say, stop. And the owner says, go. Ironically, Jeffrey Laurie was the greatest owner for fans of all time. Considered not, he was okay with overpaying players, trying to win at the major league level, didn't care about winning at the minor league level, and I couldn't agree more. Who cares about winning at the minor league level? Use your prospects to make trades. Use your prospects to get better at the major league level. But what, when owners say that a player lower on the list is worth money that they were going to give to players higher on the list because they don't want to be left out of all the fun and excitement, that is when mistakes are made. And you convince yourself, yeah, I may have wanted Story or I may have wanted Seeger. But you know what? Baez is great. And then you say to yourself, hey, I'm only giving him 140 versus 320. And you say to yourself, look, we've saved ourselves $185 million. Way to go. We're only in it for six, not 10. Way to go. And you keep telling yourself little nuggets. And every time you tell yourself a nugget, you know what happens? The agents get happier and happier because you're negotiating with yourself at that point. You are convincing yourself of something and doing the work of the agent whose job it is, is to convince you that his player is worth what he is asking. But when owners get going, they do the job for the agent. It's the most it's the craziest thing i witnessed over 18 years watching the psychology of agents and owners and watching the manipulation that agents do it's fascinating and that's what's happening with the tigers now but fans don't be despondent for from michigan he's good he's fine what about teams who aren't doing anything the al west is just insane how about the cy young award winner from toronto going to Seattle for 115 million over 5 years, Robbie Ray. And the great all-star from San Francisco, Kevin Gausman going from the Giants to the Ra- to the Blue Jays. So the Blue Jays gave 5 years 110 to Kevin Gausman instead of 5 years 115 to Robbie Ray. And you're saying, wait a minute, David, the Blue Jays are going to get a compensatory pick because they made a qualifying offer. So they're getting Gausman plus a pick. Who cares the Blue Jays in their mind if they were honest with you and they thought that they could get Robbie Ray for five million dollars more than they got Kevin Gaussman, If they said no to that, it's either because Ray wanted more to stay in Toronto or there was something about Ray where they said, you know what? He's hit his ceiling. He's never going to be better than he was this year. Let's try someone else. The problem is the person they tried is also someone who can't be better than he was last year. These guys have no track records other than checkered so the mariners get robbie ray and everyone's excited why wouldn't you be you get a cy young award-winning pitcher i guess you pay him and you hope that he's going to win it again or be competitive or give you 30 starts i said something on radio today coca uh before the show i did radio on national canada radio and i was asking rhetorically of course because i speak to myself so when i'm on the radio i often forget that there's someone like a host on the other side talking to me because i treat it a little bit like this where i'm just talking to a camera and pretending there's an audience picturing what you're smiling at and what you're not the focus last year during the playoffs do you remember what we talked about was starting pitching the focus because i always believed you need pitching and defense. That's what you need. Pitching, speed and defense will win your rings. It, it worked for me. Starting pitchers aren't allowed to go three times the lineup through the lineup. Only one pitcher Fembro Valdez in last year's postseason, went eight innings. Every pitcher is now a five-and diver. You get them through five, you're ecstatic. We used to make fun of five and divers. Now it's what you hope for. Quality starts: six innings or more. Three runs or fewer. It's a dream. Who does that anymore? What you need to win is a stable of pitchers, the majority of whom your fans have never heard of until they realize how good they are. That's what makes a good front office, not signing Scherzer, not signing Gausman, not signing Ray. Now, it's signing Ray last year to one year, $8 million. It's giving Gausman a qualifying offer and having him accept it and then getting way more than 18.4, 18.9 last year in... Production it takes a smart front office and all the front offices There's no way that they can say that starting pitching is a premium now because you need 10 to 13 starting pitchers to make it through that's number one number two Starting pitching doesn't matter anymore because no one's letting them go deep. So why are you? Increasing the market for starting pitching and decreasing the importance. What am I missing in that equation? if the requirement decreases that means it should be in lockstep with the expenditure No, i'm going to spend more for something i use less of that's pretty good right i'm going to put a bed in the guest room that's used once a year and i'm going to make it better than the master bed in my bedroom i'm going to spend more on something i use less Does that make sense to anyone? Would you do that in your business? We're gonna buy a machine and invest in it, and it's to make a product that we could make over here cheaper, faster, and more of, but this is a shiny new machine. We're gonna pay retail, we're gonna pay a premium, and then its production is going to decrease. Would you pay an R&D department, research and development, to do research to find products and to find efficiencies? that are meant to lower production and increase costs. I'm just asking, I'm spitballing here because obviously I don't have the business acumen or the baseball acumen to understand the concept. But there you go. Starting pitching. So the AL West is going to be exciting. You got the Rangers trying to win, you got the Mariners who are getting better trying to win. How are the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim doing? Don't worry, they got Noah Syndergaard. They're good. They're fine. All good. They've got Rendon, they've got Trout, they've got Otani. It's brilliant. No worries. Good luck, Anaheim. What about the Yankees? I'm reading online everywhere that Yankees fans are despondent beyond repair. You're DBR. You feel like you're playing a game of musical chairs and you're standing there without a chair to sit at when the music stops. Like you're at the prom and everybody's paired off and you're at the fruit bunch table trying to figure out why it's not spiked. That you're at a game where everybody plays and you're sitting there not getting in the action. It's a blowout. Why don't you play me? Well, the Yankees have said no, not today. We are not going to engage in this frenzy of overpaying. We are not going to set a payroll level where we don't know whether or not we will be over a luxury tax threshold. We cannot get the commissioner to tell us whether and when the lockout will be over and what the luxury tax threshold will be. So we're going to wait. Yeah, it would have been good to have Seeger. That's true, actually. That would have been better than what they have. But at 32 and a half, don't forget, you can't pay everybody. Do you think it's reasonable to have Stanton at 30 and then re-sign Judge at 30? Have Garrett Cole at 30 and then add Seeger at 30? That's $120 million for four players. You better have a $240 million payroll or you're not going to win. So should Yankee fans be concerned? If you're concerned, be concerned that Garrett Cole is making 36. And he's got, what, how many years left? Did he sign a nine-year deal and he's been a Yankee for two years now? So I guess he has seven years left. Wow. Seven years. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Through 2028. Is that right, Coca? My God. Good luck. All right. What else do I want to talk about with baseball? Do you know what's going on in Dallas right now? Negotiations. Rumors are not true that I read that they are actually negotiating in the Kennedy Library. They're in a hotel conference room. You set up three conference rooms, one where you meet together, sort of like a divorce, one where one side hangs out like a war room, one where the other side hangs out, and then one where they hang out together. And then the commissioner has a suite. Tony Clark has a suite in the hotel. I think they're in the Four Seasons in Dallas, and then they come down, they negotiate. It's mostly the number two guys, Dan Halem and Bruce Meyer. They're getting together, and they're deciding, how long do we negotiate before we leave Dallas? Do we stay right up until the midnight deadline tomorrow night? Is that what we should do? Do we want to wait to see if we can get some of these big issues taken care of? We may be able to. Should we try to negotiate away and then have a joint announcement about a lockout? NGTH, never going to happen. Should we just talk about stuff on the margin and leave all the big stuff for once the lockout happens? They're discussing these things. I promise you, the players' union is aware of and will not be surprised when the owners lock out the players tomorrow night at 11.59. It's not as though they don't realize that all these signings are only happening because of this lockout deadline, as irrational as that is, of course, but every side knows what's happening. So what are they doing in Dallas and why are they doing it? They're not doing it because it's eyewash. They're doing it because it's a process. I've negotiated a lot of big deals in my life and you cannot alter the timing of a transaction no matter how badly you want to go faster. No matter how badly you want that deal to be consummated, deals have their own flow. Every deal you ever negotiate, whether it's your own contract, whether it is to buy a company, to sell a company, to develop a new product, everyone has the timing in their mind and every time the timing is faster than what it is in reality. There's stops, there's starts. It's a process. I used to try to hasten the process by saying to a an agent i said this to d gordon's agent when we were negotiating d gordon's contract his extension i said listen can we stop the back and forth because that's what happens when you negotiate with a player your own player you make an offer they make a counter offer you counter the counter they counter the counter to the counter then you're going to counter the counter then you're going to try to split the difference and you both know that there's three steps left and so you say hey i know we've got some room but I'm not giving you all the room I got. Every side knows, but I always used to say, let's just pretend we've done the 10 steps. Let's pretend that I've creeped up from eight million a year to 17 million a year. And I've done it in four steps, eight to 10 to 12 to 14, and then to 17. And that you've gone down from 40 a year to 30 to 20 to 19 to 17. And let's do this deal at 17 right now. It never works. You can't do it, it it literally never works that way. You've got to have the patience to live through the process. And that's what collective bargaining is, it's a process. You've got to sit there and have meetings with the other side, even when you can't stand the sight of them. You have to have an issues checklist that you go through, even when you know you're not gonna solve any of those issues. Because you get to log in the meeting notes on november 30th we discussed expanded playoffs or we discussed universal dh no resolution so you don't get to check that issue off but then when you discuss it again in two weeks you get to build off the discussions you had so please don't panic okay all right i got a panic question from someone coca you know what i want I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get on Twitter at David P. Samson. Hit follow, please. We have fun on Twitter, much to the chagrin of former PR people, but I'm not in baseball anymore. So get in there, get DM and ask me a question and I'll try to work it into a show or a mailbag episode. A couple mailbag episodes coming up later this month or next month. We're at the end of November. Hey, we're at the end of November today, Coca. Today's the last day of November. How was our month? I think we have a lot of new listeners. So so you want to talk to Samson is from the movie Half Baked. There's a character named Samson. Get yourself 17, 18s baked and watch it. Hi, David. Hi. In a lockout, do players get paid? Do contracts continue? Do players get another year tacked on if a year is lost? So many more questions. All right, everybody, stay calm, stay cool, carry on. I wanted to just say, can you wipe that coca? Let's do that again. Okay, ready? I'll, I'll, I'll come in. Four, eight, 69. All right, everybody, keep calm and carry on. The concern about the lockout is not yours. You're not going to miss games. You're not going to miss a World Series championship next year. You're not going to miss October but you're asking me all these questions about a lockout, and my answer is the same to every one of them. Every single thing is negotiated. If there is no year, which is not going to happen, but if the entire 2022 is canceled, does that mean that Corey Seager only has nine years left and $290 million because his first 32 and a half is off the book? Does that mean that players who are one year like Remember when Mookie Betts, do you remember this? Oh, what what happened here, Coco? Mookie Betts was traded from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. Mookie Betts had one year till free agency. The Dodgers were not playing because there was COVID and there was a question, will the season ever be played? And then the question was, do you get a full year of service for playing sixty games? Because if you get a full year of service for playing 60 games, which ended up being a full season in 2020, then Mookie Betts has gone from the Dodgers, and they traded Verdugo, et cetera, to get 60 games of Mookie Betts unless they re-sign him, which, of course, they did, so it never was a big deal. But can you imagine signing a player to one year, and then you miss a year, and that player then gets a full year of service, and it moves on to be free agent? The Yankees, Aaron Judge. Sorry. I'm a free agent. The answer is all of those issues get negotiated specifically. So you have an issues list that are global economic issues. Then you've got some micro player well-being issues. Then you've got some ancillary pension issues and rules issues and international play issues. So it goes all the way from core economics to which whether players will agree to show up at the all-star game which I still think is going to be part of the CBA and it should be because it's a big deal if they don't and they don't care about it anymore. So the question is, where is service time in that equation? That's a core issue. But you don't negotiate that issue of lost service time in a work stoppage that costs games until you have to. So every question you asked, do players get paid in a lockout? Not while it's happening. Remember, Major League Baseball players only get paid from April through September. That's it. April, May, June, July, August, September. Six months. Two paychecks a month, 12 total paychecks. Divide the annual salary by 12, and that is what players get gross each paycheck. No players are getting paid during a lockout on November 30th. December 1st, because no players are getting paid. How about spring training? Nope, no players get paid during spring training either. So the question will be, if the regular season gets shortened because of a work stoppage, and there's only 140 games, will the owners be forced to pay the full 162-game salary? Or will they just pay a prorated, the way they did in the 60-game season, where they paid players their full salary, but prorated 60 out of 162? It's a negotiation. Do contracts continue? It's a negotiation. What about another year tacked on? Negative. That's also a negotiation, but I promise you that one's not going to happen. So that means that, let's say, Cole, has seven years left with the Yankees, if there's no season in 22, the Yankees will say, listen, we really want him a full seven more years, so can we tack on an extra year? Where the player says, you know, I didn't get paid for this year, so I really want to get an extra year tacked on. The owner's would absolutely shut down the sport over that one wait to see but those are all good questions thank you for wanting to talk to me but don't worry about the mechanics of which players are getting paid when and how much quite yet i'll tell you when it's time to panic don't panic till i say so do we have a deal and it's not now all right when we come back we're going to review the guy who was in the wedding ringer and we are also going to get to Tiger Woods for a moment because I want to say something about Tiger Woods. We will be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. Thank you so much for joining us. We are trying to figure out right now what we are doing as it relates to a lockout. Trying to figure out what the sport's going to do. Trying to figure out which players are going to be signed once this show drops because new players are signed every moment now leading up to tomorrow. But it's going to slow down because, remember, I told you all players have to sign by today at the latest because of physicals and how long it takes to get results back. And no matter what happens, I still watch a movie. Of course, I do. I sat down and watched an entire series called True Story. I thought it was the about like the one with um, what was the one with Matthew McConaughey? Do you remember? It was multiple seasons and uh, True Detective. Oh my God! Okay, let me tell you a funny story about how my brain works. You know that I have a bit of a deficit disorder and I go from one thing to the next and I put something in my mind and then it just stays there and then I confuse names. You know I'm, I'm not great at names, et cetera. I saw True Story with Kevin Hart and I love Kevin Hart and I love Wesley Snipes. He stars in it too. And I thought it was the next season of True Detective. So I start watching True Story and the irony is At the end of the show, and I watched the first episode, which is an hour, and then the last however many there were, which were half-hour episodes or 35-minute episodes, I watched it all in one sitting. I want to say it was four hours of content, so it's like watching Dances with Wolves plus a few extra deleted scenes. So it's easy to watch in one sitting. It ended, and I wanted to review it to say that Kevin Hart is a serious actor, to say that Wesley Snipes is out of prison and back to acting, which is great, but he's definitely aged which I think prison can do to you. It is hard to believe that the guy from The Wedding Ringer can be a serious actor and be that effective and impactful and emotional and serious and full of rage and hate and joy and humor. But that's the part that Kevin Hart plays. The range that he shows in True Story is staggering, truly staggering. However, it's not True Detective. Still worth watching. True story. Check it out. All right, let's talk about Tiger Woods briefly, if you don't mind. Uh, Tiger Woods had that car accident. I want to say it's, you know, 270 days ago. I can't remember what day it was. I remember being in the studio when it happened, or maybe I was here during COVID and wondering whether or not there was. They were preparing for what if Tiger Woods dies. What kind of tributes are going to be done, et cetera. News shows are funny, right? They have to assume the worst it's like newspapers how do you think they get an obituary written of someone famous so quickly because obituaries are actually done prior to people dying that's something right so when tiger woods gets into the car accident one of the terrible things that happens and it happened in february of 2021 i can't believe so so it's about yeah it's about nine months ago as we're in November now, so nine months ago. And uh, the editors of all the news organizations, of all the newspapers, they had to assume that it was not going to end well. And then you get scared to go on the air with reports that were false that day that he had died or that he got jaws of life or that God knows what else had happened. You try to get things confirmed. It's like what happened when Kobe's helicopter went down. It's staggering when you're inside the business to learn, and I learned more about this since I joined CBS, what goes on before a breaking news story becomes breaking news to us, the viewers and the audience. So Tiger Woods went quiet, and he posted a three-second video of him swinging a golf club again with a compression sleeve on his right leg, his right leg, which was just absolutely destroyed in this car accident. And then he gave an interview yesterday for the first time, and he said something that is not Tiger-like. He said that in his mind, it's realistic to play on the tour again, but not as a regular, that he would play an occasional tournament at best. He views winning the Masters in 19 as the apex of his career. He realizes that catching Jack Nicholas. Do I have that right, Coke? Is it Jack Nicholas who has the most majors in golf? And he's trying to catch Nicholas, which was supposed to be a fait accompli. And then Tiger had the issues with the golf club and the ambient and the divorce and then the injuries. Query, was he on steroids? All the stuff that made it so catching Nicholas was no longer possible. Then he wins the Masters in 19. And everyone says, hey, he's only three behind Nicholas. He's going to catch him. Then the accident comes. And now we hear from Tiger that catching Nicholas, winning majors, it's just very unlikely to happen. And what I heard from Tiger Woods and what I read from Tiger Woods was this very interesting epiphany that he had, which often happens when people are close to death and they see the light and they come back, right? The expression, I've seen the light. That's what you're supposed to do when you see what it could be like when you die and then you come back and then you are a better person, a changed person. You then pay Jimmy Osteen or whatever his name is to be your leader or whatever you do. Joel Osteen, seeing the light, give me $100. That light will cost you $1,000. What's it called, a tithe? I'm Jewish, I don't know the word. Coca, you're only Jewish from the waist up. Is it tithe, T-I-T-H-E, that is money that you give? Coca has no idea. God bless you, Coca. It's a Google. It's giving money to the church. That's all it is. Oh, my God. Anyway, so Tiger Woods, to me, was humble. And I want to compliment him. What he went through can't be easy. The rehab every day when the cameras are not on you. Trying to get your physical body back together when you've used your physical body to make your money. That it's been your temple, no matter what you've put in there. But the reality is, knowing what you are facing and knowing that your best days are behind you. And in golf, you can believe that you can have your best days when you are older. In basketball, there are career-ending injuries where you know your best days are behind you. Baseball, the same. But golf, in theory, there'd be a chance But he has done this with great dignity. He's gone about it the right way, and I'm rooting for him to come back, and I'm rooting for him to win another major. Willie? That's a wait to see. Okay, nothing personal. Pick of the day. Did you watch? I told you, Washington football team, there's something about it. The Tanya Snyder-led Washington football skins are undefeated in November. They didn't lose a game. They could even make the playoffs. Playoffs? Wait a minute. Coca. If the Washington skin football team, if they make the playoffs, does Dan Snyder give Tanya Snyder an extension? Huh. I wonder how that'll work. Anyway, Washington football team was even with Seattle, and that's the Seattle of old. Seattle stinks. They almost won, but they didn't. So we're 162 and 144. There's a game to watch tonight, but it's the late game on TNT. It's an NBA game between Steph Curry, who's having the best season of his career, which I didn't think was possible. He is now, in my opinion, and this is hard for me to say, Coca, he's the best shooter of all time. And I've got no recency bias when I say it. If anything, I've got the anti-recency bias because I always view older players as better from when I was an NBA junkie. But he's got his Warriors off to a two-loss start this season, and they're playing the Suns. The Suns are at home having won I want to say 16 in a row. And they are favored by two and a half points over the Warriors. This is the type of game that Steph Curry loves, that Chris Paul will not be able to rise to that challenge. Devin Booker will not be able to rise to that challenge. Warriors plus two and a half over the Suns. It's the game of the year. You should watch it. Okay, I want to end the show talking about uh, a wait to see. And it's a, it's a semi-bigger topic, like a seven-minute topic or eight-minute topic or nine-minute topic. Wait to see is when I say something's going to happen. And if it happens, we'll revisit it. If it doesn't happen, we won't. Coca, I forgot to look. My fault. We had to wait to see that Marcelo Zuna would be suspended for more than 81 games. Marcelo Zuna was the player we had with the Marlins, Jose's best friend a player who I got to know and spent a lot of years with. He did something that he did something that Marcelo Zuna did that is inexcusable in my mind. When you know somebody and you assume that they are a certain way and then they're not the disappointment is obviously huge. You know where I stand on domestic violence. I, I, I cannot stand it. I cannot stand the way that people show power through violence and power in relationships through violence. Marcelo Zuna was caught on camera. And I gave you a wait to see on May 31st, 2021, that Marcelo Zuna would get more than 81 games once the investigation was complete by MLB. Well, guess what? MLB completed its investigation. They suspended him 20 games retroactively. 20 games. Marcel, you know I love you. 20 games, that's not enough. And here's the worst part. They're letting him off for time served. That means that Trevor Bauer, given this now, when they decide to suspend Trevor Bauer, surprise, the games that they're going to suspend him, they're going to do it retroactively and give him time served, and he's already been out since God knows when, So he'll get to come back and pitch for the Dodgers next year, coincidentally having lost Scherzer. Will the Dodgers take him back? Will they release him? We're going to wait. As a matter of fact, Coca, we are going to do a wait to see right now because I see what baseball did here, and it's a mistake. Rob Manford goes on precedent. Once you do something for someone, you've got to do it again for the next person. Here we go. My Ozuna wait to see is a no, but I have today's wait to see. Trevor Bauer, while I said he will get suspended, that's the previous wait to see. He is going to get his suspension retroactively as well. And that is extremely disappointing. Let me give you a part two to the wait to see. And this is depressing as well. The Dodgers are not going to cut Bauer. As much as I have said in the past that Trevor Bauer will never pitch again for the Los Angeles Dodgers, when you lose Kershaw, and he's not as effective, when you lose Scherzer and you need pitching, you find a way to make things better. Because at the end of the day, winning matters more than the way you are as a person, unfortunately. So those are the two extra weights to seize, Coca. So I want to talk about something else that's been negotiated because it got a lot of attention. The attention was on MLB expanded playoffs. Did you read that yesterday, Matt? Right now, there's 10 teams in the playoffs. The COVID year, there were 16. Everyone thought it was too many. MLB is trying to get 14 teams into the playoffs. The players are concerned about expanding the playoffs because incorrectly they view that teams will then not try to win as many games as possible teams will say, we can win 80 games and still make the playoffs in an expanded situation, get hot at the right time, and we can be the Braves or the Cardinals who won 88 games and won the World Series or the Marlins who won 91 games and won the World Series. And I told you that's not what owners do. But anyway, they're arguing. They're arguing. But MLB proposed something that I have to address. They proposed, and this is the second time they've proposed it, and I don't know why, because you're not going to get owner support or player support for this initiative. But as part of the 14-team expanded playoffs, Major League Baseball owners suggested that the number one overall record in the American League and National League gets a bye in the first round. Then the next two division winners get to choose which of the four wild card teams they want to play. In a best two out of three, all at the home team of the team with the better record. So that means if the Yankees win the AL East with the best record, they don't play in the first round. But then you've got the Astros who win a division with a record of fewer wins than the Yankees. The Astros look at the four wild card teams, they choose one and say, Come to me. And they want to make it a whole national TV selection show, like the selection shows that happen in college basketball. Like the selection shows that happen for the CFP, college football playoff. They are so desperate to get another event. But it's a bridge too far. The reason why you will not get owners to agree is you're not going to get GMs to agree. You don't want to choose a team to play out of four wild cards because that team will say, oh, you chose us? All right, we're going to come there and kick your ass. And then you lose to a team that you chose. Then you get fired when you're the GM and president when the owner says, hey, why did you choose to play that team when we lost two out of three at home and now we're not even in the division series and we won our division? That's why it's not going to happen. But baseball being fun and tricky part of the collective bargaining negotiation is when you suggest that you want something when you really don't. What is it that owners said after last year's playoff round? What was the number one thing, do you think, that owners said after last year's playoffs that just ended this October, two months ago, last month? They said it is unreasonable for two 100-win teams to play each other in the division series. The Giants at 107, the Dodgers at 106 played in the first round. After the Dodgers had to win a one-game wild card on a Chris Taylor walk-off against the St. Louis Cardinals, they then had to go play the 107-win Giants. They happened to beat them in five games, but that's not relevant. And the reason why is that the team with the best record plays the wild card team, no matter what the record is of the wild card team. You remember previously when it happened. You couldn't play a team in your own division in the first round. But then baseball got rid of that. And they said, you can play a team in your own division, but we're going to give an advantage to the division winner by letting the best division winner play a wild card team. Great. Because we never thought a wild card team would win 106 games. So what baseball really wants is a reseeding. What they really want is for the Giants to have been the number one seed. They want the Dodgers at wildcard with 106 wins to be the number two seed. Therefore, they wouldn't have to play each other. But the problem with that is that now what you're saying is that winning a division is not the premium that baseball wants it to be. It's winning games. And the players say that's what we want. We want teams to have to win as many games as possible because that will incentivize them not to trade off pieces at the deadline. That will incentivize them to get more pieces at the deadline. Have them win more games. So the back and forth that you're going to see right now in terms of expanded playoffs, again, wait for the final iteration. Don't worry about it. There will be expanded playoffs. It will not be that teams get to choose which teams they play. And it will not disincentivize owners to win as many games as possible. I promise that's where it ends up. What's going on with these back and forth expanded playoff proposals like everything else in the collective bargaining agreement, you know it, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently